Beauty Talks. I'm Akriya Jamfi, and in this episode, we're going to be talking to the cast and creatives behind the award-winning short film, Muna. So guys, please could you introduce yourselves? Okay, I'll go first. I'm uh, Warta Mohammed. I am the writer-director of Muna. Hi guys, my name is Kosa Ali. I'm an actor, and um, I was an actor and producer of Muna. And I'm Angela Moneka, and I was uh, well, one of the producers on Mana. Thank you so much. Kosa, you did the peak kitty thing where you laughed and giggled about what you did. Why are you laughing and giggling? <laughs> I don't know because it just feels like I'm I don't know. It's so embarrassing Maybe. every time I say it. I'm like, ah. Uh, no, we have to tap into this. Why is it embarrassing that you are an actor when you're a stone cold badass actor? I don't know. I guess it's the African deep thing installed into me where I'm not a doctor or a lawyer. So I'm just like, ah, saying that out loud. It's like, what impact am I having on the world? Nothing. I'm just pretending to be other people. But no, um, I guess it's just a deep rooted humility that I feel. I hear that. And then, yeah. so Wada and Angela, when did it kick in for you that you guys do what you do? And when you could say it with chest and not giggle? Very recently, probably somewhere along the journey of Muna. Yeah, I, I'd agree. All right. So I say Muna. Everyone always cusses me because I pronounce things in my own special way. <laughs> Muna or Muna? Muna. Muna. Muna is how we say it. But if you say Muna, that, whatever way. No, 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 no. Muna is Wuna. the actual way. <laughs> I was just about to say, you're I'm doing... diplomatic. She said, no diplomacy. <laughs> this is the thing, people have got to hear it because it's like when we say our names from where we're from, I'm like, no, it's okay. So you can say a couple little... No, it's a clear. So <laughs> yeah. You've got to go like, Muna. And let me say it properly. So Muna is about a British Somali teen, who, Muna, who is desperate to go to, on a school trip, but her parents aren't so sure. Tragedy strikes when her grandfather dies back in Somalia, and Muna must navigate a confusing mourning period for someone she never really knew, all while still hoping to persuade her mother to change her mind. And the film is backed by BBC Film in association with Rendition Films and Pink Towel. And it also won, brat, 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 Best Short Film and Best Actress, for Kosa at the 2023 British Short Film Awards. So that's really damn impressive for someone who's not an actress um, as well. But um, so which of you went to the awards and can you describe what that win was like? Uh, so Angie and I went with our other producer, um, Simon. And yeah, we didn't expect it like at all. She's not just saying that. No, yeah, no, she... we genuinely, <laughs> we genuinely mean it. So we were just like, this is great. Like, it was our first award show that we've been to for Muna. So it was a pretty, it was a proud moment for us. So we were just like, we're here for a good time because you guys have just come from work as well. Yeah. So we were just all like, you know, <laughs> this will be great. So of course I won before and unfortunately she couldn't make it. So I had, I had her speech on my phone. So I just like literally like rushed up. Like I broke her, her speech down in half because I was so nervous for her award and they were laughing and I was like, oh my God, so embarrassing. I was like, nah, then I was like, okay, I'm going to get it off. So I ran away hoping this would be the last time I'd come up again. So we were just so overwhelmed, but it was really lovely. I didn't do, I didn't do a proper speech. I just made Angie do it. I have to do it. Yeah, Angie did it. I was like, Angie, please, I can't. You know what, when you go win an award, it's like it confirmed that the work and the effort was worth it. Why were you even surprised? And maybe in comparison to everything else that was maybe nominated, I don't know whether you saw the other films, why do you think the film resonated so much with the audience for it to be a winner? I don't know. It's funny because with shorts, you you weirdly don't know what's going to land. Sometimes it all feels a bit arbitrary. It feels like you're not really in control once it's done. One thing that is great about Mina is it, it has been resonating in all the ways 
that we wanted it to like we haven't had to spoon feed people all the different layers and meanings like there's things in it that have really spoken to them especially like from a kind of diaspora kind of pov like there's loads of people who have an experience of having family members who don't live where they live who they never get to see or who they've never met and yeah i don't know maybe it's just little things like that i feel like I commonly see this behavior from like usually black creatives or like creatives of color where there's this like deep feeling that we all have that we should be grateful that we've just created the work and that we can't embrace this um, confidence of like, yeah, I might win and I will. And I don't know what that is. I think this industry for so long has made us feel like we should be grateful for the fact that we've even created work, let alone drag it into a win. So now every black person I chat to my friends I'm like yeah you're gonna win you know and like, oh, no you know like just, you know I don't think so grateful to be nominated and it's like nah I feel like we should like and I'm even talking to myself and I say this because I can't even say I'm an actor with confidence um mm. I just feel like we should embrace that a bit more and like reclaim that innocence or just create that feeling of yeah actually I might win and I am here because I deserve to win and my, my work is bad just like you man's is so how did you guys meet I met Kosar on Ross and then I met Angie and Simon when I ended up working in the working title building, um, working for a producer and they worked on two different floors and we just became friends and then collaborators. Oh, that's very, very, very cute. So let's quickly talk about Rocks. For those of you who don't know, if you haven't watched Rocks, it's still on Netflix. So I beg you, please watch it. It's groundbreaking. It's powerful. It's a coming of age film about a young black girl who has to fight her hardest to look after herself and her little brother after their mother abandons them. So what are you, a production trainee and cultural consultant? And then co-star, you played best friend Samaya to lead actress Bookie Bakre, who played Rox, the title ca- character. Can you guys speak to how being a part of that project set you on your career paths? And then also what you thought of each other. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. You know, Rox created all of this for me. I never thought acting was going to be a career. I always thought you were just born into it. I always thought acting was like a nepotism route not something you can become. And like my sisters um, went to medical school, one's a scientist. So that's just kind of like what my life was going to be. And it just found me by chance, I guess. And then, yeah, I've just been in this after that and liking it and things have been happening and been going with the flow. And when I met Wada, I was kind of just like, oh my God, another Somali. Yeah, I love you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just kind of just clicked. And I remember she told me about Mono when we had just wrapped rocks. Mm-hmm. Just before, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I want to be in it. Yeah. I've known Costa since she was 14. She's 20 now. Yeah, when I when I joined on, I started off as a director's assistant. I joined on when they were still doing workshops and their roles hadn't been confirmed yet. When we got to know each other through that, I got to know all the girls and we all had a really strong bond because when we started shooting, I was a cast PA as well. So even though those are my titles, you said I had many titles. I was cast PA, pace PA. I did a lot, but obviously they can't give me all those titles. So it kind of got condensed into one big production title, but I worked really close hand in hand with Kosar. And when, you know, when she was officially casted and she was going to play the best friend role, some changes had to be made because obviously it was an outline. They improvised the whole thing, but there was an outline to follow. And there was a lot of Somali parts of it that needed a lot of guidance from the both of us. So we ended up doing a lot of consultancy work. I helped out with the casting and all these different kind of elements, which for me was kind of a baptism of a fire of sorts, but it also made me reestablish my love for this medium and how much I really wanted to and reaffirm my love for it. So yeah, that's how, I think that's how Rox has changed me and it made me believe that I can do it. Cause mm-hmm. I had written Muna a few months prior in 2018 
and I had never had met Kosar. It was about 14 year old girl at the time when I'd written it and I didn't, and I had no idea where it was going to go. And then I met her and it felt so fated and we struck up a really great bond um, for her to even ask me at the end, like, what do you really want to do? I know you don't want to be a cost PA, base PA, uh, <laughs> production trainee, all these things. I know you want to do something else. I was like, I do. And kind of telling her really just, and her believing in that just really kept me like, okay, I have someone that believes in me that wants to do it and who's so talented. Yeah. That kind of just like really kept me on this journey. And, you know, shortly after I met Angie in the same year. So it kind of felt like 2018 was just establishing the foundations for this short. Well, thank you. And so, Angie, whilst Rocks was happening, um, what was happening with you? I think you're a tape collective, director's assistant at Working Titled Films. Is that correct? Nearly. <laughs> tape collective. I started tape a while ago, 2015, I think. And it's a curatorial collective I run with a woman called Isra Al-Kassi. And that was really just a thing that we started together that was about, like, championing films that we just thought were really cool that you couldn't really find or watch in traditional cinema spaces so that was its own thing that was just happening and is you know still ongoing that we're still doing and I think that for a lot of people from backgrounds like ours communities like ours when they're working in this industry you really have to find your way in in quite a specific way often by like creating things in a very grassroots way for yourself then on the other hand all these different pockets and bits of experience that I was kind of cobbling together over that time enabled me to get this internship at Working Title. So I started working there and to right now, I'm now a production exec at Working Title, but when I started, I was a production assistant. Me and Wardo were working in this building and was it one of those black people gravitating towards black people? Because yes, there's another black in the building. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> we need to know each other. <laughs> it was all very like, by the time you were moving on to your next job and your next thing, we kind of spoken a bit about Minna and, yeah. and then we really wanted to do something with it together. And I very much come from a very production background. So I was like, I want to produce this with you, for you. And so, yeah, that's where it kind of started. And what, when, when were the seeds of Muna planted? Where did the idea come from? In that 2018 year, I was, um, I enrolled into like a screenwriting course because I wanted to start writing. I just didn't know how to, I, I knew how to write short stories. I just didn't know how to write scripts. So I joined that and essentially I was kind of pushed into writing this story and I had to come up with an idea when I did my advanced course. In the back of my head, you know, I had a really interesting fascination of sorts. I was trying to like comprehend it in my head and like trying to think about the family members I had lost so far in my life that I had never met, that I had lost back in Switzerland and in back at home in Somalia and trying to, you know, understand what my parents were going through at the time when I was young and trying to see how does someone like me who was young at the time and even older now when it's because obviously it's still something that constantly happens of when you lose a family member you've never met, what are the processes you go through in terms of grief? Do you go through the five or seven stages of grief? Do you just skip all of them and go straight to acceptance? Is it something that you just take what your parents are going through or a family member's going through and just mimic that emotion? And I didn't have an answer for it. And that's what Muna is also about. Like, there's no answers. It's just an exploration of experiencing what the 16-year-old girl is going through, but also understanding for someone like Muna, what is the heart and be-all of her life? And her life is her friendship, her music. But for her mother, it's her father who she's just lost. 
but it's that kind of like those worlds colliding with each other and trying to understand what both of them are going through. That fascination kind of led me into writing that. So why Kosa? I know you've met her and you like, yeah, we bonded, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what made her so special? Kosa, why Muna? Angie, why Muna? I think obviously when we spoke about the project originally in 2018, she understood the story right away. That's gone through her family too. And because she was able to resonate with it, I was like, she will understand this story. And there's a lot of nuance in this story that I can't just give to an actor. It has to be something that's kind of rooted in in your experience as well. So I really trusted Kosa's experiences to kind of tell this kind of story. You know, obviously she's not 16, but she can be able to transfer those emotions as a young person into this other young person and kind of tell this story. But also why I worked with Angie, I'm going to add on another one, and why I worked with Angie on this project is when we became friends, we had a real love for cinema. We were really talking about like Iranian cinema and sometimes we'd stay at work and watch films together. And like, we had a deep, deep love for it. And Muna has a lot of, I took a lot of references and inspiration from Iranian cinema. So when I was, you know, staying late nights in this office and like making my edits and working hard, she was working hard too, just to floor up. And obviously we were friends, but we had this love and I was like, okay, well, when I think the script is good enough, I might send it to her because I know she produces, but I didn't know she could have said like, no. <laughs> but it was yeah. a thing of that because we already had that understanding at the beginning of like where my references come from. She was like, okay, I want to read it. I think that's why I went. She was the right person. Very cool people. Yeah. <laughs> so Kosa, you were like, I want to do the film. I want to work on your film. But were you thinking of lead or were you just thinking, I just want to be on the film? I mean, at the time, like, I'd just done Brooks and that was the first taste of anything acting on that level that I'd done and being in front of a camera and just, it felt like my mind was just, like, completely blown and I had this, like, overwhelming sense of, like, I, like, really want to do this and I love this. And, of course, I really loved Wada as well and knowing that she was also a writer and, like, wanted to create films, I just had this, like... I don't even know what it is yet, but I want to do it. Like, I want to work with you because I just had this, like, feeling about her that's just, um, it's like an innate feeling. I, I don't know how to, like, quite describe in words that you just get from some people. And then I read Muna, and I was always going to be Muna. And I didn't put my mind to it. I was like, I'm her. If you don't cast me as her, you're getting banged. I was quite naggy about it because I just had this, like, beautiful and overwhelming feeling that there's going to be more stories about, like, the Somali experience in the sense where... We're just human beings that are actually discovering these feelings of like grief, et cetera. And it's not always going to be centered around our religion or negative stereotypes of our culture. And that was just like super refreshing for me. It felt very familiar, not because I haven't personally gone through that yet, but I've seen it a lot through family, through friends, through cousins. And it was just something that is so specific and Mm. so honest. And I've never seen that before shown on TV and I was just like, we have to make this. So I was just like, yeah, I want to do this with you. And I just had this, like, I still do this great feeling that she's just going to be like one of the best directors out here and writers. And you need to believe that because you will, because there's something very honest about your work and very like unique and yeah. Thank you. (laughs) That's very, very cute. And Angie, then you, you know, yes, this story is amazing, but it's hard work producing and getting stuff off the ground and funded. And so why did you want to throw your hat in the fire for this? Well, I think that is actually it. Producing is so much hard work and it takes up a lot of time, energy, consistency. And I think so if you're, there's no point in 
embarking on something that you're not fully behind. So I think it has to sort of start with the people that you're working with and the story that they're trying to tell and all those kind of things like that. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, that has to kind of be the main thing that's driving you. From the first time that I read the draft that I read, I just thought, again, like it's not something that has very much been seen very much. And it's quite specific. I think Minna is in some ways quite subtle in its concerns, but it actually runs very deep. So I think there's something about presenting the life of what is ultimately just an ordinary teenage girl, but then being against like this very specific experience, which in a lot of ways is also more universal than you think and in some ways a lot of people can relate to it and even just like the little things like remembering being a kid and like psyching yourself up to try and get your parents to agree to let you out of the house to go somewhere like it seems quite small but they're quite significant like life experiences that have stayed with me other people in decades to come like into adulthood so I think just the opportunity to come together and figure out a way to put that on screen in a way that felt really honest but it was really beautiful and it was fun as well because that's the other thing as well a lot of your writing is humorous there is humor in there Mm -hmm. it's about serious things but it's presented it with such a lightness of touch yeah it just makes it all more complex and a lot more fun to work with I think there's also something to be said for the fact that you know Somali culture has such a strong artistic storytelling culture but from where I was standing it's like it's not like we're seeing British Somali stories on screen very much and it was an undeniable project when the opportunity came up to be a part of it and say now we all kind of touched on the cultural aspects of it and I think even me in my big old age that I'm from the generation where there was like a moment where it seemed like there were more Somali, Ethiopian, Eritrean families appearing into the culture. And there's always ignorance. As an African, as a West African, we were suffering the tribal wars between Caribbeans and Africans. And then we had these Africans who brought another element to the conversation. So there was a lot of misconception. There was confusion, distrust. And what resonated with me in rocks was like, I'm saying so old, I'm being dramatic, but being so old and not really being able to say, for a community that was so impactful in my growing up, how come I've never seen their traditions on screen? And then on top of this layer with Muna, I was like, yeah, this is what we do. Even the serving, young girls having to serve, go and serve the men, go and serve, not being able to go out and having to consider culture before our own personal freedom and entertainment. So those things resonated so much and it's bittersweet when you say, yes, it's been done, but it shouldn't be 2023, shouldn't be 2019, should have been way before. But in that, the weight of responsibility on telling cultural stories that resonate with everybody. Can you speak to some of that as creatives that, you know, you want to get paid, you want to pay your bills, you want to tell all kinds of stories, but there's also sometimes an importance of, let me get our culture across because that's what we need to do representing our people. The battle of that when you're, thinking about the, the work that you create and how that maybe factored into the making of Muna. I think my mom, I did consult her a lot in terms of like every, every part of the script and just to get another opinion on, is this the right way to do it? Is this the right way to do this? Is this the right way to do that? So yeah, just making sure, but also trying not to let fear creep in because when certain stories are not seen enough, there's a lot of pressure to tell the story as right as possible. And I tried not to make myself this kind of hero. 
and be like, oh, well, I have to do it completely right. I can lead everyone to a new generation. No, it's not about that. It's about me telling the story the best way I can with the best people around me. And hopefully there's other people that are coming up with us that we can usher in a new generation together instead of it just being like, I'm going to make all the decisions. I'm going to tell our culture, right? Because if I come in with that attitude from the beginning, I'm setting myself up for failure and I'm setting myself up to be critiqued for things that are just so minor. So yeah, I try not to overthink, but yeah, I did, I did consult my mom a lot. I did consult my aunts. Some of the people on set for us were Somali as well. Like we, especially like the people who came and supported us on the wake scenes. There was a lot of Somali in that room on that day. And they did a lot of consulting. My brother was there, Kosa's sister was there. So, and my, my cousin. So it was a lot of like asking questions, like hearing other people's opinions and then doing what is right for the film and doing what's right for us and not letting too many voices creep in. So yeah. Kosa, speaking to that, cause I know as a young person, I think the older you get, the less you care. So but when you're young, there's a lot more pressure to maybe conform to the, the noise and make sure that you don't offend anyone. I think, I don't know, I'm speaking, I'm thinking when I was young, I just didn't want to step a foot wrong because I, my peers mattered so much to me. Did you have any hesitation, reservations, or were you like, similarly like, I don't care, I'm going to do this because I, I want to do it? I've never really had that like sense of, I think naturally because I'm, an actor, um, the most most visible person and the most easy person to like target when anyone feels a certain way about something. And I think regardless when you are portraying a Muslim and black story, let alone a Somali one, that's not really seen much. There's always going to be opinions, good and bad. And I would be lying if I said I didn't feel a sense of responsibility because I do, because I do have a responsibility as a actor and a Somali and Muslim one because there aren't many. I do. I think every decision I make is based around that just because I feel like it would be, speaking for me as an actor, it would be very irresponsible of me to say I would do whatever I want. And me doing whatever I want, don't get it wrong, is still within that because I'm very, like my culture had, and my religion very much constructed my morals. So regardless, it will never really sway from that. But I'm still a human. I'm going to make mistakes. Culture and religion varies for different people. So what I do won't be right for some people, etc. I was always nervous from like talks we have and ongoing talks we have around like how people are going to perceive it. Because there's not much stories told about us, I always feel this need that it has to be perfect and I never want to portray our culture to be too like misogynistic like you know what I'm saying to you because mm-hmm. then like white people are just gonna run with that and we've been they've been running with that so I just always get this like ah mind fuck but I will always base my jobs etc everything I do around my religion and my culture I just will never let it completely infiltrate the choices that feel right in my gut but it does play a part in anything and everything that I do. Even though we knew each other prior, it's also making sure like every question that she has is making her comfortable as well. Like she said, she is the most visible person because she's obviously on the screen. So even though we knew each other, we had a great friendship. This is a different dynamic. I can't have an ego with my work. And also she came on, not as just an actor, she came on board as an exec on this project. So it's also taking the time to sit down with an actor and really go through the script. And any questions she has, listening to that. And is there ways to make Tosan more comfortable? You know, because even though we are both Somali, we both are Muslim, there's a power dynamic here. It's always that thing of like showing her respect and then maybe things that I agree with and things she doesn't agree with. So this thing of us sitting down together and really breaking that down 
making sure that she has the utmost trust in me to do right by her beliefs and making sure that I'm not leading her down a road of like discontentment of, of our working relationship in the future. Cause this is a collaboration that we both hope continues on. And it's, and it's been the most seamless one, honestly, like my whole career so far, I felt like I've been in this for 40 years, girl, cause I've been breaking it down. Every conversation with these people is breaking it down. So it's just was like super refreshing to just be, Hey, I have a concern about this and this mm. and that. And just the conversation we find a middle ground or we just actually both agree or yeah. find another resolution It's done. Keep it moving. Ah, oh, I was just like, Oh my God, seamless, done, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I just want to keep working with her <laughs> really, because I was just like, this is easy. So packaging this film, it's smiley, it's culture, it's death. It's a woman led project. It's black. How did you package it, love? <laughs> Automatically, about it. that's all the things about it that are exciting. Coming out with that energy, there was never any other thought in my mind. I was just so confident that there was something in it. And don't get me wrong, like it, it, it wasn't slammed up. We had the script ready and then the following week there were people throwing money at us kind of thing. Like it took a long time to get all the funding together mm. and there were low moments, there's this, but we always pushed through with it and we always found like new ways to pivot onto different routes just because it always felt possible and you know there were also times where we got opinions back on the story that we I don't know they were downright problematic or like people trying to make the story something that it's not you know we got some feedback from somewhere that was basically saying oh we really like it but can we take out all the stuff about the trip so it could just be about grief and it's just completely like missing the point of the whole dynamic of the structure of the narrative. Of, and that's fine because if it's being misunderstood, it's probably not the partner that you want to go down that road with anyway. So it was really great, actually, when we came into contact with Claudia Youssef at BBC Film and she just immediately got it. And it's having that person who immediately sees all those things that you saw as strengths as strength. British Somali teenager, Somali family, great. Costa, great. Wajda, great. Wajda had also made another short previously called Sorry My Somali Is Not Very Good, which is a much, much shorter RC short. But again, just like really mm. beautiful, showing so much promise. All those things just started to align, even though it was a long road. I always thought that we would get there in some way or another. That's beautiful. You need people to believe in it. A certain Miss Sabrina Elba also. Mm -hmm. when did she come on board and it's not you don't want to undermine all the hard work the creativity the talent that goes into it but it, it obviously it helps when there's a named a named person that backs it and also someone from the culture who actually understands and backs it with integrity so sabrina elba for those of you who don't know the wonderful wife of um idris elba in her own right she's a model a philanthropist i think she's done some acting as well hasn't she she's more than idris elba's wife but for those of you who don't know anything that's <laughs> know her after bbc film uh, claudia came on board they were sort of the first and like main financier partner and then it was basically there was like extra bits of funding that we really needed to sort of top it all up to make sure that we were really going to be able to achieve what we wanted to achieve. Other people who were in the mix were really valuable to us in that sense of helping us bring all those pieces together. Claudia put us in touch with UK Muslim Film, Sajid over there, who came on board again very quickly and 
wanted to back what we were doing. And then I think Sabrina came through, if I remember correctly, a wonderful woman called Claire Wilson, who was one of the exec producers on this short film as well, who was a co-writer on Rocks. And again, great relationship with Kosa Anwarta and really supported and gave a lot of help in helping us push forward with it when we were trying to figure ways to get the funding together and stuff. Mm. She, uh, through, I think, another producer person who she knew had heard that Sabrina, you know, she's moving a bit more into a film space and obviously she's Somali and she's interested in Somali stories. So she was able to kind of mention it to her and Simon and I then put together sort of like a whole summation of what the project was, where it was at, what we needed. We had a meeting with her, which was really nice. Yeah. And again, it all happened very quickly once we got that first hand down on the table. Another thing I will say about that is it also reflects what I was saying about waiting for the right partners because it did feel like they were the right people. So it's worth it as well because like then you've got to make the thing, which is when the real work starts. Absolutely. So, okay, so in a nutshell for Amuna, what moment, whether it's pre, during, post, what moment of Amuna, the project, really encapsulates why you said yes to it, why you continue to make it, why it made sense to you to be a part of this project. Starting with you, Kosa. I think like my first day on set, I was like, yeah, makes sense, man. The crew that we had, I've never been on a set like that. Like it was all just black and beautiful melanin people, majority. Mm -hmm. So nice to be on a set like that because you just feel like everyone here is your friend. I didn't feel uncomfortable, which I often do on sets, to be honest. And I felt like I could just focus on my job I was like, wow, like, I'm not thinking about my man lighting me, right? Or this director, he's not really chatting to me properly. You know what I'm saying to you? I trusted my makeup artist. I trusted my costume. I just felt like how white women feel like when they go on sets, really. And that was just like, wow, this is... I like this feeling. <laughs> People like this from now on. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I was like, yes, this is what it's about. Like, and this is the type of work I want to do. And this is the type of sets that I want to create when I do directing, etc. which I hope to do in the future. And it was just like proper motivating for me. And I feel like I just needed it in that time as well of my life and just my career. So I was just like, I'm so glad that I said, yeah, I'm here. And we're doing this job in this film. And what are speaking to your idea that now exists in the world? This is exactly it. This is that moment that proves everything. There was a lot of moments in like prep. Bringing our crew together was pretty mm. special. It was touch and go at one point, but like once we had everyone, it really felt like they were meant to be in terms of the crew that we ended up getting together. But I think for me, there's a men's prayer scene in the film. I wasn't in the room for that because obviously I'm, I'm a woman, I can't be in the room for that, but I just saw it on the monitor and witnessing that scene. And there was a bunch of us at Video Village and we were all just like, in awe of Olan, the DP's camera work. It was just outrageous and beautiful. And it just really just cemented how special the film was for everyone. And, and just myself. to clarify actually on exactly what you're saying, not to interrupt you, I'm gonna let you- No, go on. Saying. The reason why Washta said she couldn't be in the room- Yeah, I was- Is because you. she really pushed to shoot the prayer scene IRL. It was at the correct time of day for that prayer. It was exactly as it would happen, basically, in real life. It was men and only men in that room. We only had one shot at getting a take of it because, you know, obviously can't do it over and over and over again, which again, you know, Olan, he smashed it in just like 
going for it and getting it and it looks really beautiful and it, you feel it when you watch it because it feels like something that has been lent a lot of respect and I think that was a really creatively and in other sort of ways spiritually I don't know brilliant decision of you to make and and I think it also speaks to in the film industry a lot of the time even though it's an industry that is very dynamic and like every day is different and you're doing all these crazy things it's an industry where people can be very rigid the second you want to do something that isn't usually the way that it's done people get a bit like sniffy about it and everything's a problem and it's difficult and you know there could have been a huge fuss about it like oh it's going to be too hard because and what if and you were sort of just like listen we're going to do our best and if we're going to try it this way this is the way we're going to do it and if we get it then we get it if we don't we don't and I think that was also testimony to the crew who were just like very very up for yeah doing it the way that you wanted it done yeah special thank you and Angie your moment I would just say same as Coast like Mm. that set is just one of the best films I think I've ever been on it was a really beautiful set I think you could feel that everybody really believed that they were making something special and they were just very happy to be there doing it it was a really beautiful experience and the people that made up the crew I think we just got really great people yeah we were all really tuned into that yeah it was a four-day shoot one day was like train strikes and we still didn't skip a beat our producer had her ogs on and she meant business <laughs> and she did everything and like I'm so grateful because like I think that healthy positive passionate energy spread throughout the crew mm. and cast and everyone for me I felt really safe it was shot in, in one house one location we didn't move anywhere and we were really lucky with the weather because we had lunch outside and like we had been trying to make this film for so long and when we ended up doing it it just felt right on that week of November, just felt like the right time. When we were in it, we were like, this feels right. Because there were moments where we could have done it, but I don't know if we would have the same experience. Mm. I had learned a lot in the time that I needed. And so did these guys. So we all were ready at that very moment. And we were so lucky. And even while we were there in real time, Angie and Simon and I were just like, we feel some, we were in that moment making something we were really passionate about and something that we're proud of thank you all right so i'm going to give you some quick fire questions so what are you guys watching right now uh i'm watching a k-drama called little woman but it's not the little woman you think it's about crime and it's on netflix okay (laughs) coso what are you watching what am i watching i've been watching hella films so like not tv i'm bad at tv what have i just watched recently i watched boy I've seen that film in ages. Um, what am I watching right now? The only thing that's coming to my head, only because I've literally just started it, I've watched one episode of The Curse, that mm. Nathan Fielder, Emma Stone, Benny Safdie show. It's too early for me to, to get too deep into what I think, but I'm with it. It's a bit weird. Yeah, I like Nathan Fielder's stuff, so. Cool. What are you guys reading right now? I'm reading a memoir called Stay True. I can't remember the author. I've just started The Psychopath Test. I also forgot the guy's name but yeah i just finished uh, again a memoir actually but um by a producer called christine vachon called a killer life which was great what are you guys listening to right now and it's podcast or music i'm listening to an audiobook the barbara streisand autobiography or biography i think she wrote it i'm listening to um yg marley's new song praise dry in the moonlight his first record. It's actually really good, I'm not going to lie. I can only reach for the most recent thing, but, the, you know, I like this podcast a lot. The receipts just came back, so obviously I had to tune in, see what's been going on. 
So I've been listening to that. What's the last thing you guys saw on stage? That could be a play or a concert. The last play. Oh, I saw um, My Friend Totoro in the Barbican. It How was, was so good. Oh. It was really beautiful. It was magical. Yeah. Have you watched his new film? The no, the one Heron. I'm going to watch it this week. Literally watching Subby and not Dub first. Oh, hey. Yeah. <laughs> never Dub. Never, ever, ever. Uh, the last, uh, I watched The Effect at the National, and that was really good. So because you said The Effect, mm-hmm. and now it's the only thing that I can seem to remember. I'm sure there was something else, though. We'll go with The Effect for now. Um, by the way, it's award season, as you guys know. So which award are you most coveting? I never think that far ahead. I want to win a Nobel Prize just so I can say I won a Nobel Prize. I don't know what for. I just want to go up there and be like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a, basically the book I'm reading, I think it's like, I think it got like a man book, man booker. So many books are bestsellers, like number one, New York Times bestseller. I want to be a New York Times bestseller too. I want that title. Okay. So awards, not for what you do, but for other things. <laughs> All of them. The Biffers, the BAFTAs, the Oscars. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> we speak it into existence. Okay, New Year, New Me. What's your New Year's resolution? One. To have balance. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Balance. <laughs> I like that, yeah. I don't really do resolutions, but I do do intentions. And I think I'm trying to have better boundaries this year. I'm trying to... don't know how I'm going to achieve this, but be less anxious. Breathing is a very good thing. Do you listen to Diary of a CEO? He... There's this episode when like a breathing expert comes in and it just like changed my whole because we all don't breathe right compared to like what he was telling us and stuff. Interesting. Yeah, and like how breathing is like really linked to a lot of like patients who have ADHD and a lot of neurodivergent stuff. Like how breathing is so important with that and how you could clock it in young children depending yeah. on how they breathe. But anyway, really good. Absolutely. I I 100% agree. Okay, where can we watch Muna, please? Nana is currently still doing the festival circuit. It's going to be part of a screening called London Lives yes. at London Short Film Festival in London. If you are in Berlin, it's also going to be at Berlin International Film Festival in February. And then, yeah, eventually we will want to put it online somewhere. I said Muna, didn't I? Not Muna. It's okay. I saw you. I saw you. I, I got it. I saw it. I did well for the whole thing. Okay, <laughs> what's next for you guys? What are we going to see you in? What are you going to be making on? What are you working on? I'm developing my feature at the moment. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm writing right now. And I'm doing it. I'm working with Angie again. So her work is my work. And okay. so. <laughs> Me, I'm just living. Okay. <laughs> that means secrecy, secrecy. Can't talk about it, but I'm not. <laughs> okay guys thank you so so much it's been amazing speaking to you appreciate your time and Muna is a very very special film for those of you as you've been told get down to the London Short Film Festival and if you've got it like that go to Berlin Film Festival and then yeah we'll we'll keep you posted on the British Blacklist when it's available to watch online thank you very much thank you so much that was awesome